We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Monday morning before the Wolves play the Los Angeles Clippers on Tuesday evening in the play-in. And today's show is going to be all about that matchup. This is going to be a big old matchup preview with Lucas Hahn and Robert Flom who cover the Clippers for 213 Hoops. The episode's going to kind of flow like those shows I've done in Denver with the DNVR guys who cover the Nuggets. So you'll kind of hear Lucas leading the conversation, but I promise I talk a lot too, providing the Wolves perspective. I actually learned a lot uh, talking to those two when we recorded just about the things you can only know about a team if you're following them every day. And that's what Lucas and Rob do. So I hope you enjoy their perspective as we really dig into pretty much every possible angle of this matchup. So let's get it. Wolves Clippers, Tuesday night, 830 local time. Here's your preview. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
What is up, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of the Lob the Jam, the podcast, a special episode getting ready for the NBA play-in tournament, 7-8 game in the Western Conference between the LA Clippers and the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a special episode today because we are joined by our friend Dane Moore, host of the Dane Moore NBA podcast, covering the Minnesota Timberwolves. Dane, how are you doing? I'm good, man. It's I feel like we're in this weird little like delay period right now where I'm about to go to game 82 after this, which matters none. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, I guess, ready to be ready for it to be Tuesday and uh, see what's next in this play in playoff, whatever the hell's about to happen. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, it's it's feels wrong to be recording a preview for Tuesday's game before Sunday's game. Like we're in the same boat, Rob, you know, yeah. Rob and I like we're going to have to go do this Clippers game tonight. I just really hope no one for either team, any team across the league gets yeah, hurt tonight because that, that's just going to be crushing if someone ends up having to miss. Are, are the Wolves going to play their guys tonight? Cat is resting. Um, yeah, and then good. it's like Pat Bev and D'Lo are questionable, which means they'll probably end up resting too. Um, but then like Finch is actually pretty like, we joke here locally. He's like a little bit more like Tibbs than he was like right, <laughs> in terms of like, like he plays guys and he wants to, and and I think that's a somewhat actual like defensible position to have at the end of the season for both the Clippers and the Wolves is like, yeah, like let's actually get into the play in playoffs where we make sense a little bit from having having played together. So which has been frustrating because the Clippers haven't been that when I've been trying to watch them. I'm like, all right, Suns Clippers, let's do it. Like sit down. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe we could change the channel here. But yeah. We're, the- the, the Clippers have had like one meaningful game. The Pelicans like one? With the Pelicans one. Yeah. With Paul George and Norman Powell both playing against a not terrible team that actually also wanted to win the game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been tricky to evaluate. Let's bring in Rob, Rob Flom, of course, with us also. Uh, you know, Rob, from afar, we're, we'll, we'll get Dane. Dane will have plenty of time to talk about his team rules. But from afar, what is the threat like of this Timberwolves team that really hasn't been a threat uh, for a while? I mean, I think the Wolves are good. They've been better than the Clippers most of the year. Um, you know, partially the Clippers have had injuries. We all, all the listeners will know how the Clippers have had injuries this year. Um, but the Wolves are really good. Um, they've wavered on defense at points. They've been really good on defense at points, I think. Um, how their defense looks is probably going to be the key to this game. Will they be able to slow Paul George down at all? Um, but they're good. Like Carl Anthony Towns is probably going to be the all NBA second team center. He's having an incredible season. Uh, Anthony Edwards is a guy who's probably like a fringe all-star level. We all know how good Pat Beverly is on defense. Um, D'Angelo Russell might be one of the keys to this one. I am notoriously not a huge D'Lo guy, but he's been very positively impactful for the Wolves. And they have some. They have a lot of interesting role players. So I, I think they're they're good. I think the Clippers, when healthy, are probably better. But Carl Anthony Towns could absolutely score like forty points in this game and completely dominate the Clippers. Uh, and then you know it could be a win for the Wolves. So I, I think the the team should be pretty evenly matched, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you just said, but it's kind of like Cat has Cat is really good, and he has been really good for a long time. I guess the the big question before you get start getting into the nitty gritty of this matchup, uh, you know, the big question, Dane, is what's different this year? 
Like Cat's always been good. The Wolves have always had a couple other guys, a couple shaky guys. Like what's different this year that made them a 46 win team instead of, you know, a 34 win team? Stop playing like Channing Frye and started playing like Giannis Tenacumpo. I mean, he he doesn't shoot that many threes anymore. Like honestly, not a big volume three-point shooter. After he won the three-point contest, he just doesn't shoot them very often. He passes them up often, um, and he's looking to drive. He's looking to pump and go at you from the top of the key, and that is <clears throat> that's a very different look offensively than what we've seen from Cat for the past you know four or five years. He kind of started his career out block, mid-range, that sort of thing. But then once Ryan Saunders took the the reins from Tom Thibodeau, you know, he was like a nine, 10 threes a game type of guy. I don't know. Uh, he, he'll probably shoot three, maybe three in this game uh, against the Clippers because I'm assuming they're going to have Batum and stuff out pressed up on him. Uh, I think that's just something a lot of people are going to learn by watching this game on national television or by, you know, if the Wolves do make a playoff series, they'll be like, wait, this isn't the same cat I watched, you know, two years ago, just jack up threes and make them. He can still do it. He just doesn't. Yeah, do it. <laughs> he's very good. At yeah, it. yeah, for sure. Okay, still, still 40 plus percent. But the bigger difference, I think, that we've noticed this season is they've completely changed the, the defensive scheme and specifically the way they use Carl Anthony Towns. Um, he's been playing in a drop coverage formation under Sam Mitchell, Tom Thibodeau, Ryan Saunders, and that has changed. Chris Finch uh, is now bringing Cat up to the level. They call it the high wall, low man concept, where you have Cat up making a high wall at the at the point of attack of the pick and roll with the Jared Vanderbilt, Anthony Edwards, whatever, rotating back as the low man at the rim. And that is really a copycat of what the Denver Nuggets did with Jokic like two or three years ago. Uh, Finch was on the coaching staff in Denver for, for a year there. So so we've recognized in Minnesota the biggest shift being defensive this season. I think they're like, they're going to finish the year like sixth on offense, 13th on defense, I think. And the defense part has been has been shocking, but equal parts confusing because you can kind of pick apart that concept too. Like it's the best thing the Wolves can do because it generates turnovers but it, but it's also a very aggressive scheme that players like Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Trey Young, real dictators at the point, like they can really take advantage of it. And I, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. But how Paul George approaches that coverage, I, I think will dictate a ton of what happens in this game. Is is PG able to do what Luka can do as, in that situation as the big guard and see over the top of Cat? in those coverages, like so much of it comes down to the way the Wolves are able to execute that defensive coverage and what Paul George is able to do against it. I think that's a big difference. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm glad that you, that you're mentioning kind of the scheme coverage that Finch has brought to the table, because I feel like from afar, it's really easy to kind of get into these narrative talking points about like, Oh, they just, they decided to play hard this year. That's why they're good. Right. (laughs) Uh, And I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to completely dispel that as a Pat Bev lover, right? That like there's a there's an element there that oh, he there's brings, for sure some of that, yeah. But yeah. but it's also like teams aren't just like bad for five years because Carl Anthony Towns doesn't feel like playing defense tonight. Like there's there's a lot more that goes in behind the scenes than I think um, you know you might like go here on first take or something, right? But to that point, I've also heard I've heard some chatter about uh, 
before we get to the Pat Bev connection, Chris Finch, uh, I've heard a lot of praise for him, not just in terms of scheme, but in terms of uh, the, you know, one word that I, that I saw that I thought was really interesting is transparency. Yeah. Like the, that the communication within the locker room is a lot better than it maybe has been in the past. Now there's a lot of, I think for me, coach of the year is the toughest end of season award this year, because there's like probably six guys who I think could reasonably win it. For me, Chris Finch is on that list. I think Ty Wu is also on that list. What has Finch meant to this Wolves team? Honestly, man, he does remind me of Ty Lue a little bit in just like very plain spoken um, with his with his players, like to the point, um, like will tell them what to do, but can also kind of like fall into the friend sort of relationship mm -hmm. sort of thing. And while Finch didn't play in the league like Ty did, um, he just has some of that. He did play overseas, like. He, you just, you've been able to see the relationship. I think he's been really intentional about developing relationships with Carl individually, with D'Angelo individually, with Anthony individually. And then, you know, him and Pat Bev go back to like their Houston days together. So he's kind of like has done this thing where I think every one of the guys individually, he's worked on having a relationship with them, transparent to your point about what that role is going to be, when that role is going to be changing for good or for worse. And, and then, yeah, I think they just like, one thing that always stood out to me, like right at the beginning when he got hired was he said, my job for the most part is to get out of the way. And he was talking about mm -hmm. like the X's and O's and the basketball, like put in things that allow me to get out of the way. And what I've noticed, I noticed that last year, what I've noticed this year is he kind of does that socially in, in the group too. Like he doesn't, he doesn't treat himself as like, the czar over the group. Like he kind of believes in self-policing um, on the team, which, you know, players like, but also that goes sideways sometimes where, you know, they're <laughs> mocking Russell Westbrook or whatever. And, you no, know, that, that was good. <laughs> that was that good. Wasn't sideways. Yeah, I know. That was good. <laughs> that or, uh, or, you know, they just got really aggressive trying to get 50 for Ant in the last game. And, you know, that wasn't a great look, but, like it's on. I, I also thought that that was fine. I thought I, that was fine. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. The Spurs people were really upset. I thought it was fine. I don't know. I, I didn't have a big reaction to it. I mean, I was just kind of like sitting at there at the game, you know, watching it. And then I got in the media room afterwards. And everyone's like, what the hell was that? Like, uh, you know, like, oh, Pat Bev intentionally fouled so they could get the ball back to get 50. And I was just kind of like, I don't know, man. They're the seventh seed. <laughs> like, I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> you know? When, when Rob, Robert Covington had 43 for the Clippers yeah. against the Bucks a couple weeks ago, and in the fourth quarter, I was like, anyone else who takes the shot from the Clippers should be fined $10,000. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to get this guy 50. Uh, I told I told Kat um, that night, like, he was, like, those games ended at the same time. I was like, you see that, that Cove got, uh, that Cove got 43, and he's like, the first thing he said was, he goes, how many threes did he make? <laughs> I was like, I think it was 11. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob, what do you think about uh, the Chris Finch coach of the year case this season? Uh, he's not going to get it. Um, <laughs> I think he's. Yeah, for the record, I don't, think, I don't think he's going to get it either. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I. No, yeah. no, no. But I mean, yeah. I think I, I think that he's one of like the six guys, seven guys. Yeah who sure. if his name showed up in those three finalists, 
I wouldn't have a peep to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I've only heard good. He was was one of those guys who for years and years is one of those really highly touted assistants. It was always like, when is Chris Finch going to get a head coaching job? And he finally did. And basically everything we've heard about him has come to pass. He seems very creative. He's willing to change. He's also, you know, the thing you never know with assistants is the people management component, because that's not something that's usually as much part of an assistant role. Um, you're given like a specific assignment or side of the ball or whatever. Um, and it seems he's good at that too. So I, I think he's, I, I'm not a super student of, of what he does, but he seems like a very good coach. Um, if he got votes, I would certainly not be opposed to it. Um, I, he would not be my vote um, probably, but I think like he's totally reasonable as a top three or even as the winner, really. Like the Wolves have overachieved a lot. Um, and some of that is due to like getting a guy like Pat Bev who, who did make a lot of cultural changes, just as we all know, just by his presence. But um, he has been a big upgrade at coach over Ryan Saunders and Tom Thibodeau. Um, and that that matters a lot. So I, he wouldn't be my vote, but I think he's a totally fine candidate for it. And uh, I expect he'll probably be with the Timberwolves for, for quite a number of years unless something unexpected happens. Yeah, it's always nice when you get a coach. And I, I feel this way about Ty Lue, where it's like, Ty Lue... I could Tyloo could coach be coaching the Clippers in 20 years. Like I really, I really think that Tyloo could still be the coach of the Clippers in 20 years. And Chris Finch, you know, the Wolves probably are still kind of vying for that level of stability, right? Like the Clippers now with Balmer, um, when they beat Oklahoma City tonight, it'll be their 11th straight season above 500. Like that's a that's a really high level of organizational stability. The Wolves going out I on a limb are, there, man, taking them over the yeah, Thunder. I know, man. <laughs> fingers crossed, right? Otherwise, this pod, we're just going to not have to, we're not going to be able to publish it if they I, lose that game. I feel like they're totally going to lose now. <laughs> just because you, you said it with so much. And, the, you know, the Thunder are just weird where they like, they get down by 17 and then it's the fourth quarter. You're like, oh, the Thunder is like four point game. Like, like Darius Basley is going to hit like, Totally. 14 three he's not playing yeah he's, he's 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 not playing <laughs> he's terrible and he's still too good to be playing they're benching like teo maladon because they're afraid of even being close to winning games it's unbelievable the clippers versus the minnesota timberwolves on tuesday night in the play-in game now this was a kind of interesting season series they played their first three games very early so both of these teams have had a lot of time to uh well the, the wolves i think have had some time to kind of mature in the sense of a young team, kind of their first season being a good team, play more games together, figure out who they are. The Clippers have just barely been able to survive before starting to get some guys back in the last couple of weeks. Now, one thing that's interesting is we had, there is this Patrick Beverly connection that is not just like a sentimental thing. Clippers fans, Wolves fans, obviously both really love him for what he did for the Clippers, what he's doing for the Wolves now, but socially, Patrick, but like, I've never seen an active player for another NBA team show up to another NBA team's home game, sitting courtside, wearing that team's jersey. Like Patrick Beverly was at a Clippers game in February in a courtside seat wearing an oh, Avita Zuma. I watched it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, I, I, I don't know. I Maybe I'm like... So I don't remember ever seeing something like that. In but the it's the perfect Patrick Beverly. Each other in the standings. It's the perfect Patrick Beverly move where it, he is all about his guys. He's also all about putting forth an image. And that's exactly what that does. Like he knows he went and he got that Zubats jersey at the place because he knew it would. He knew what it would signal. And like, 
it's not, a, I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. It's just, I haven't covered him now for your, I, maybe you guys have more experience with this. Like he says things that does, th- it carries himself in ways that are about saying things without saying the words. And I don't know. I just like, he's a very difficult person to like ask questions to, or you don't, you don't, you like, you get to ask about defense and you feel like, <laughs> All of a sudden, the answer might be like talking about something when he did on offense when he was on the Rockets. You know, it's just like he's yeah. kind of all over the place. But it's there's a stra- I always feel like I think he's very smart. I think there's a there's a strategy yeah. to what he does. But I was like, oh, Pat's doing this. He's doing this because he knows it's gonna everyone's gonna see it. You know, and it doesn't mean he doesn't love Zoo. Like I totally believe he loves Zoo and 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 all that. And he's been you know he's been that sort of leader guy. Um, on the on the wolves too this year it's kind of it's kind of remarkable how similar at least in my mind's eye what he's done with the wolves this year is to what he did when the clippers got the ac that first time yeah with doc that was the then they played the warriors yeah. kd warriors and lost and that's i mean those seasons are just ragtag kind of group of guys talent but you know, you kind of have to have be that spark fight harder than everyone else if you're actually going to make it sort of team. I don't know. It just seems this Wolves team seems very oddly similar to that Clippers team. Yeah, and that, that Clippers team was really injury ravaged, too. So it was very much like kind of night in, night out. Like Sendarius Thornwell played 72 games. Yeah, for that yeah, Clippers yeah, team. yeah. It was it was just really like you had to grind every night. You didn't know who was going to be available. But I, I just think there's so much I wish I could. uh I wish I could be tapped into like some of these group chats because you know Patrick Beverly is like if Itza Zubats joked after the game last night that him and Pat aren't on speaking terms right now, but these these guys talk every day. Yeah, Pat and Pat and Zoo specifically talk every day, and so I'm sure there's like a little bit of banter being thrown around. And and the thing that you, you love about Pat is that you can sort of trust. Yeah, he's gonna like talk and joke, and it's gonna be all love, and then he's gonna go like throw a right hook at zoo in the second quarter when zoo oh, yeah. tries to box him out right like it's, 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 it's totally. just, that's, that's how it's gonna go they will but, fight yeah but i think there is this idea that you know the clippers the clippers use this coverage against cat early in the season in these three early matchups where they had batum fronting him now marcus morris was not available for these games which allowed the clippers to do some stuff on defense that they can't always do when marcus is playing they had Batum fronting Cat. They had Zoo guarding Jared Vanderbilt, who was camped out in the corner where he's not not even going to shoot if you throw the skip pass. So Zoo's kind of playing that that backline defense. If they throw it over the top, he's collecting the rebounds, and this really frustrated the Wolves in these Big first time. three games. I mean, the, and the Clippers won those three games by fifty something points total. When they played in January, the Clippers had like no one. Um, available you that was like right in the midst of every team missing eight guys with covid so that game you know I don't, i'm not going to say the the wolves won that game by 20 points but i don't think it was because they like solved the batum zoo thing no because they haven't solved the batum zoo thing all year that every team does it to them now uh, and they should and and i'm honestly when i watch these games and teams don't do it i think I, it shocks me it shocks me that they don't do it that chris finch actually refers to it as the utah defense uh, the Jazz were the first team to do it to them last year where they would put Bogdanovich on Cat and then they have Rudy, Lurk, mm-hmm. Gobert at the at the rim and ignore Vanderbilt. And <clears throat> that was, it was odd and 
we didn't know how successful it was because the Wolves oddly beat the Jazz three times last year when they won. Tw- they had like the worst record in the league and they whatever. They somehow beat the Jazz three times last year. So you're always like, ah, I wonder if that's a good strategy against Cat. Like I would always just kind of think about that after the game, but you couldn't really put your finger on it. And then, man, those two Clippers games in the beginning of November, you were like, they might have just broke the Wolves. Like that might be it. Like because because it doesn't. It was actually in the first game, Josh Okoge started uh, instead of Jared Vanderbilt, which is functionally the same thing. They just yeah. they it, it ignored him too. But I just actually went back and watched that game, and I forgot that they hadn't even gotten to the Vanderbilt starting lineup yet. But but yes, one way or the other, teams just put a small on cat. They have the center lurk, bring the double. I mean, my listeners, don't, we've been talking about this all year because when it happens, Cat can't handle the double team of it well. He can't ha- if Batum, a player like Batum, you know, six eight, six nine, kind of brawny, like that type of player with Zubox coming for the double. Cat can't. Cat really, he's going to turn it over. He just, he just is. It's, it's one, it's one big distinction between him and Jokic right now is being able to cover cat that way where you could never cover Jokic that way. Cause he'd, he'd pick it apart. And so I'm just really fascinated in this matchup. As you said, the Clippers all of a sudden got three Batums. They can put Morris on cat in that position. They can, I think they can put Covington on cat in that yeah. position too. So Zubats is just going to, he could just chill at under the rim. Any minutes that Vanderbilt's on the floor. And it's why I think, they need to play Torian Prince at the four as much as possible in this game to be able to spread that space, make Zubats guard Prince, put Prince in the opposite corner. Then Zoo can't just chill right underneath the rim. He's got to at least kind of play two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the thing that beats the Wolves and the Clippers do it better than anyone else does. And now they have a lot of different players they can run the coverage in. It's, it's kind of like one of my first principles of this series that it's so favors Los Angeles. So let me ask you this, because it the Clippers did it. It worked when they did it early in the season. You use the word like, oh man, this may have just broke the Wolves. And then the Wolves, and then, you know, teams have done it to them throughout the year and they've won 46 games. So what's like, well, so what's what, working then? So what happened was, so that first game was game was game six of the season, I think, uh, for, for the Wolves. And from there on, for the next, like, 20 games, if you, like, go to cleaning the glass, half court, if you look at their offensive rating in the half court, the Wolves were, like, worst in the league for, like, a month, month and a half. Because, again, every every team was doing this to them. And it, they were, yeah, it broke. They didn't, they couldn't score in the half court. They were getting all their offense in transition. And... And then, then they actually got hit by the COVID window themselves and all like whole starting lineup out. And so they got like, they picked Greg Monroe up off the street one day. Like he flew in, showed up at the game, like right before tip played and whatever. They had this whole bench group who couldn't play the same way, right? They had no cat to go through. So it was like a full week of like heavy ball movement. And what Finch says now is he goes, we just showed our COVID tape over and over to our starters and they saw like the power of ball movement. So what happened since then, now we're talking about like beginning of January, is the Wolves became, it's still, these sort of things still frustrated them. They just became so quick 
decision make quicker decision making with the ball. Maybe not Cat as much, but everyone else just kind of getting in, getting out, going quicker, repositioning Vanderbilt a little bit more, using Vanderbilt as a screener rather than just a dunker spot mm-hmm. sitter or corner sitter. Like they found some things that made sense. And now, I mean, the Wolves have, they got all their starters back from COVID on January 3rd. And if you split it up right now, they have the number one offense in the NBA since January 3rd for these past, you know, three months. So they have begun to figure it out unless they're playing a team who really has strong personnel to be able to guard cat in this sort of way, which I would say the Clippers still very much do. Yeah. I want to talk a little more about um, kind of their options if they go away from Vanderbilt in the next segment. Before we do that, Rob, we talked a little bit earlier about, or Dane was telling us about how they've changed up their defensive coverages with Cat to kind of play at the level of the screen and how Paul George might handle that type of coverage. We know Paul George is a guy who can be a little bit turnover prone. What do you think the key is for the clip for Paul George really to be successful um, against the Wolves? I mean, I wonder if they're going to put Pat Bev there and then the Clippers are going to put PG in the post. They put uh, Ant there. Is that really, you know, that might be a matchup the Clippers kind of like in isolation as opposed to needing a screener? What do you think, Rob? I mean, it's it sounds super, super simple and cliche, and it kind of is. But I think the key with Paul George is just to play simple. You know, part of the reason why he gets toned over prone is he, he tries to be too flashy um, with his handle or with his passing. Like, he's a good passer. He's become a good passer. He's not an amazing passer. Um, he is, for his size, he's an incredible ball handler. Um, but because of that size, it's it's not often as tight as it would be for somebody like Kyrie Irving or Jamal Crawford, anybody like that. It's just a little bit closer to the ground. Um, so I think with him, it's not it's not going to be trying to beat the Wolves all on his own. Like, I think that's a very easy trap in something like this, which is it's not like, a you know, the NCAA tournament, which is like, you know, a, an elimination. But it is a hugely important game because if you lose, then you are right on the brink. And I think star players, a lot of the time, will take this like, we have to win this game. I'm going to take this into my own hands. And this is a particularly interesting case because one, uh, Paul George has mentioned he is um, really good friends with Carl Anthony Towns. I think that could make things maybe a little bit more personal for him. And there's also the Pat Beverly factor. Um, And I just, I want him to not try to just take this game over. Like the Clippers have looked good through ball movement. Um, when he gets rid of the ball early, he does not press. He does not dribble the ball for 15 seconds on possessions. It's when he moves the ball, gets the you know opposition in rotation, and the Clippers have amazing three-point shooters on the entire roster outside of their two centers and can get open threes. So it's limiting turnovers just by moving the ball, making quick reads, not dribbling too much, not trying to be a superhero. Yeah, and I think not, not PG not trying to dribble against Bev as well, yes. like, if they use Bev on him, let someone else be the pick and roll ball handler. Like let put De, put the like if you put PG Norman Reggie out there, whoever D'Angelo Russell is guarding, let that person run the pick and roll. And then if Beverly is the guy on George, like the Clippers had a lot of success in this most recent game. They've only had a few warm up games playing with Paul George in the mid post, doing like then double pin downs for Marcus Morris curls. They got some really good looks out of Paul George's passing out of the post uh, and that could be something to look for if the wolves go small as well let's step away for another quick break actually can i say some something more... can i say something yeah, really go quick? jump in jump because in. i it. think this is like 
a huge part of this game is is how Paul George handles the Wolves' coverage. And I don't haven't watched enough Clippers to know how often he gets blitzed um, in in pick and roll coverage. But we saw and just having rewatched the games against the Wolves, you saw him do the quote unquote right thing when you get blitzed, which is you want to drag the the guy guarding yeah. you and the big up with you all the way over east west, right? Spread it all the way out to the side of the the side of the boundary. Then you want to hit Zoo on the short roll, and you want Zoo to kick it to Kadard or whoever in the corner, like. That is the right play against the Wolves' defense. This is what the Wolves will run. You do have another option against that, though, which we also saw Paul do, which he tries to split through the high wall there. If he's got Pat on him, or I think it'll probably be Ant who guards him a good amount, going through that, and that's how you get off if you're PG yourself. Like, if he just becomes the passer and just yanks it east-west, gets the ball out of his hands, it's going to be hockey assists, it's not going to show up at all in his stat sheet, He's not going to get going, right? It's the right play, but he's not going to get going. If he feels like he's got to get going, then he's going to try and split that pick and roll, and he's going to start pulling up from 16 feet, which obviously we know he's really capable of. But it's also, that's totally the situation where he could set himself up for the classic, like, playoff P shit, you know, where he takes 10 of those, and he's just not hitting. And, like, that happens sometimes, you know? It's a it's a on-the-move 16-footer. Like, that's tough. So I... He should yank it out wide. I would have him initiate every time because that's what's yeah. going to get the most attraction. It's what we saw Luca do against the Wolves. Luca had like 15 when they beat him two weeks ago. But he dictated the whole thing because it's bam, Dwight Powell, corner, corner, dunker, dunker. Like, that's money. That's how you beat the Wolves defense. That's how it's been the entire season. And, and PG can do that. It will just require a stepping back and saying, I'm probably not taking 20 shots in this game. And I don't know if he'll do that or not. Yeah, it's you know, it's really interesting because where Paul tends to get into these like seven turnover games is being too aggressive against the blitz dribbling the basketball. Right. Uh, and I, I think what's interesting is Ivica Zubats in that sort of short roll four on three has made huge strides as a passer. But Paul George doesn't have a ton of reps with this team this season. Mm. So yeah, like this Clippers team, like their best formula for a win is going to be making 23s. And they're actually, I, I mean, I know. And dude, yeah, the Wolves are going to let them take it. They, Wolves are going to yeah. let them take 45 threes in this game. They've done that so this, all year. That's what they do. They hope it's above the break, but. Yeah, that's what's going to be really crucial is I think you're exactly right. Playing that patient way, realizing, hey, Paul, this might be an 18.4 assist game for you, but it's that blitz coming to you that is going to make it so that Luke and Reggie and Norm and Marcus and Nico and Rocco combine to make 22 threes. And don't you think that's what will happen? Like those guys are all awesome shooters. Like I would, if (laughs) Paul does that, if he is disciplined enough to just get the defense in rotation, I mean, then it just comes down to like spin the wheel of three point luck, which more often than not, given the quality of the Clippers surrounding personnel, I don't know. Maybe the Wolves mix up coverages, but they really are bad at everything other than the high wall. <laughs> they really are, man. I Like, they, the players say it. Like, we've been asking about yeah. it this week. And they're like, well, we're good at the high wall, and then we're going to have to be good at everything else. And, like, the Wolves might mix in some zone, and they'll try it. But it'll all be hacks. They can't actually do anything other than this really aggressive scheme. But I'll let you get a break in. 
Yeah. And, and Paul George is turnover prone. So it's, it's the chance. And then, you know, even if you have a low rate of success, if you give up some good shots, but if you can force seven live ball turnovers and get 14 points on dunks, that makes up for a lot of those threes you're giving up. That's how the Wolves win. That's that how is, the Wolves win. That is their second in the league and turnovers forced this year. It's them and the Raptors. They both do the same stuff. They're just trying yeah. to get and scramble and force you into turnovers and get out in transition. Like that's that's the Wolves' goal. That has been for 82 games this season. That's not a classic playoff type goal, right? Like the game slows down and and all that. But this is the only way with this but roster. You just gotta that win they the have. game. Yeah, you gotta yeah, win the game. Like, yeah. That's how they're gonna and try I, and do it. The the other guy who will do the second most ball handling for the Clippers in this game, Reggie Jackson, has a lot of the same weaknesses in terms of patience. Reggie sometimes over penetrates and gets that this point where he's like a little guard eight feet away from the rim with two bodies on him and he's off. Now all of a sudden he's jumping. There's uh, nowhere to go, right, you know. Right. So it's that that I think you're right. That type of patience and hitting the high man to play that four on three um, is the key to unlocking it. But that's where the Clippers, you know, don't necessarily don't necessarily have a guy who you know is consistently just going to pick you apart. Yeah, um, I'm I'm so interested to see what Paul is like in that because yeah. I really like he could be Luca. Like he absolutely could be be Luca like that. But I just haven't seen enough of him play this year to have a good estimation of dictator. Like, can you dictate the flow of the offensive game for your team against a blitz pick and roll coverage? That's that's the biggest question I have. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's take that break. Come back and get uh, a little maybe down the roster looking at some of these other important matchups and potential players in this game. All right. So we're back. Dane, you mentioned uh, Torian Prince playing at power forward in this game. That's something that I had my eye on too, because I'm looking and I'm thinking the guys that they really, the Wolves really like to play at power forward are Vanderbilt. Are not and power Jayden, forwards. <laughs> uh, Va- Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels, yeah, right? Yeah. Are the two guys. Yeah, uh, I just Jayden think Vanderbilt's Mc- more of a center and McDaniels is more of a three. It's just, that's all they got. Yeah. They don't really have power forwards on the team. But yeah, I mean, welcome to 2022 though, right? Like that's, this is kind of the league. True. Um, not a lot, you know, not a lot of true fours anymore. But I, I mean, I think McDaniels is another guy. He's more willing to put up that open corner three than Vanderbilt. But I think oh, yeah. the Clippers will be very comfortable pulling Zubats all the way over to the block letting him close out and get a hand up. And yeah, like, you know, Terrence Mann against the Utah Jazz last season eliminated the Jazz by making nine corner threes against Rudy Gobert closeouts. I think the Clippers will be very, will be like, yeah, okay. Dude, the Utah defense, right? right? That's what we're talking about. It's the same. The way the Clippers broke the Jazz last year in that playoff series is the way the Wolves should break the Clippers with their offense this year as well, because Zoo is going to be doing is going to be put in the exact same role that Rudy was to get out to Terrence Mann. And so that's why I just think it's so important for the Wolves, whether it's Torian Prince or Malik Beasley to like, you got to play as many minutes as possible with five shooters on the floor and, and spread it literally because of what happened in the the Clippers jazz series last year. It's that like you need that. And Jared Vanderbilt is such an important part of this team from energy. It's like him and Pat Bev are that together. It's not just Pat. Like that's so important. He's also, I actually think Vanderbilt will get the initial matchup on Paul George defensively. So he's like, he's really valuable there too. 
it's just offensively, you can't play through Cat if Vando's yeah. on the floor. So I think what I would like to see as much as possible is the Wolves' big three, D'Lo, Ant, Cat, and then Malik Beasley and Torian Prince on the floor around those three. I'm I'm looking at that five as the group that they can punish the Clippers' defense with most. Now, you got no Beverly, you got no Vando on the floor, so maybe we're kind of leaning into we're just trying to outscore you game. But I don't think the Wolves are going to be able to guard the Clippers, so I think you do just get into an outscore you game. I think Paul George, more likely than not, will dictate on offense, and for the Wolves to win, they're going to need to like hit 40%. They're just going to need to have a really dominant offensive performance, and I think they get there with spacing. They've got there with spacing all season. That's how they do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if the so let, I think that if Prince comes in at the four, I do think that I think that's a win for the Clippers. Uh, mm. I think that that's I think forcing that adjustment, forcing Vanderbilt and McDaniel's off the floor and forcing Prince in. Now I think the Clippers are going to have to counter it. I think they I think at that point they pull Zubats, yeah. uh, and they just let they let probably like Morris, Morris. or Covington okay. or Batum take Cat one on one, and you know. Uh, Cats obviously going to win that matchup, but I think that's what I think that's what they what they go to at that point. The reason why I think it's a win for the Clippers, or what I yeah, think, this isn't what I sounding think Clippers, like a win right now, but <laughs> well, it is because the Clippers are a very bad defensive rebounding team. Yeah. Vanderbilt is Minnesota's real one good offensive rebounding player. Mm-hmm. When you put Prince out there, the Clippers now can kind of afford to lose Zoo on the defensive glass and. When they take Zoo out, the offense, the way that they can spread out on offense is just absolutely killer. Plus, it means Prince playing those minutes at the four means Beasley on the court. For me, Beasley and, and Russell on the court together, like you can't hide both of them. Totally the Clippers fair. are, are going to smoke them. So that's why I think – I do think that that's the natural adjustment for the Wolves. Yeah. But I think that that opens another door that the Clippers feel comfortable walking through. What I'll say is what – I'll, what I'll put out there is as another – something that I've been thinking about is, is, you know, we talk about, okay, offensive rebounding, energy, the ability to make that corner three. What does, like, what is Finch's comfort level with Reed and Cat together at the four and five? Because I think that that Not, look could really use with the Clippers. I've been, I've been asking him for two years. Like, and what Finch always has said for two years, we really like it. We really like it. We, we, we haven't found a way to get to it. And all that ever happens is you'll get maybe two minutes here and there in a game where they're playing like the Cavs and they're getting dominated on the boards. There's a there's a 0% chance that Nas and Cat share the floor together in this playing game. Okay. I don't, I don't even know if Nas pa- is going to play. That's the, one on, that's the one on paper where I'm like, Nas can make, uh, like, Nas yeah. is, you don't necessarily want him shooting, but you can't just go small there because then they're going to kill you on the offensive glass. I think the theory checks out, man. You're right. Like, that does. I'm just telling you, he's not going to do it. He's he, not going to do it. There, there's been, again, we've seen similar situations like this all year. And I'm like, okay, well, like, you lose a little bit from Vando to Nas in terms of, like, physicality and stuff. But Nas is at least big. He's even bigger than him. Like, they just haven't done it, like, hardly all year. And... There's probably it's I'm sure it would probably say on like NBA.com it's like 80 minutes, but it's a bunch of just they never gave it a real puncher's chance any any point. So I, I wouldn't expect what, that. What I noticed was it was like 80, 80 minutes in 40 games, which means it's a lot of like 
45 second overlaps, exactly. not not like a six minute shift put mm-hmm. in together. Rob, you want to chime in here with some thoughts about how the Wolves try to counter this fronting Zub- Batum Zubat's defense against Cap? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Dane is right in that, but probably will at some point just go offense heavy. Um, and I think you're right that the Clippers can definitely target, you know, Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell. The, the thing is, though, I, I don't know how many players on the Clippers you really want doing that. It's really mostly Paul George, like Norm Powell and Reggie Jackson. I think you will see those guys attack um, like D'Lo or, or Malik in like one on one ISO situations. But I don't think that's also necessarily great offense for the Clippers. I think, again, like you can get sucked into these situations yeah. like we see it all the time where you force feed what you think is a good matchup and then like d'angelo russell like tries hard on defense you know really hard on defense for 35 minutes in a playing game um at home in minnesota and is is able to play good defense against reggie jackson all of a sudden reggie is like three for 15 and the clippers are down 20 or whatever i i think that they the clippers you know similarly to what i said about paul george they need to just play their offense like they I don't want them to try to get into this, you know, we have a good matchup, let's ISO. Because that's something that when you have Kawhi and Paul George, great, phenomenal. You have like two top 15 at worst players. They can pick apart just about anybody, like, you know, on that level. Reggie Jackson can certainly have those games. Uh, I love Reggie Jackson. He's been very good for the Clippers this year. Is he somebody who I necessarily want taking like 20 shots in this game? Probably not, unless most of them are open catch and shoot threes. So, um, I do think the, the the Wolves will probably go small and offense heavy. And I, I think the Clippers need to not overreact to that and go ISO and matchup hunting, um, unless it's with Paul George. Um, so I, I, I do like Norm Powell a lot. He's been great for the Clippers. He's also only played, you know, two games in the past two months. <laughs> I don't necessarily want him taking like 20 shots in a, in a play-in game like that either. So that's kind of my thing. And like, I do think Malik Beasley is the guy who I might be watching because he's the guy on the Wolves who's most likely to hit like six or seven threes and really shape the game. Cause he's that, that kind of guy. Um, but yeah, that's, that, those are my overall thoughts. I do think that taking Vanderbilt out could actually be a win for the Clippers. Um, if they, if they play their cards, right. Um, and, and don't kind of get sucked into the matchup hunting style that has, has not always worked out well for them. Yeah, couldn't you just see Marcus Morris like try to, if they go Torian Prince, then Marcus Morris is just going to catch it at 16 and just try and ISO, ISO, ISO. I can't see that. And I'd want to gouge my eyes out. That's why, I mean, I've said said in, in every playoff series the Clippers have been in for the last two years, I've said I would deliberately cross match a guard onto Morris to bait the Clippers into throwing it in there. Because the Clippers really do have a tendency to like, Hey, we're going to throw it to this guy on the wing. He's going to stare at Marcus posting that guy up for six seconds and then throw a lob over the top. Marcus is going to catch it at 18 and take a fadeaway shot. And, and Marcus is like actually really like really good at that relative to most NBA players, but it's still worse than the average Clippers possession in terms of efficiency. So if you can get, if you can make that happen, you know, eight times, 10 times, 12 times, those are good possessions for you as a defense. I do think where the Clippers the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers are just better when Marcus Morris is in the corner. But what you, what they can do and what they have done at times, uh, again, it's such a small sample of Paul George being on the court this season. But if you get, if they take Zubats off the floor and Hartenstein is also off the floor and they're playing small, 
using Paul George as the screener and whoever has, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley on them, whether it's Terrence Mann in the game, Norman Powell, Reggie Jackson, that guy is the ball handler. Paul George is the screener. And then Paul George kind of comes off that for an elbow catch. And you're thinking like, if they, if they try to blitz that and Paul George slips, now you've got Paul George catching it at the free throw line with, you know, three forty percent shooter spacing out. Or if they try to just switch it, now Paul George is just going to walk that guy to the elbow and get a good catch. So that's where the Clippers, I think, the small the small ball advantages them on offense. Not because it's like, oh, Reggie's going to take D'Angelo Russell off the dribble one on one twenty times in a row, but when you get Zubots out of the lane offensively, you like you just have to. The Clippers can put two of any like eight guys standing still in the corners and you have to stand still next to them and play three on three because they just are going to hit 45% of them and just bury you. Like Robert Covington has made like 70% of his corner threes since he got to this team. He's just not missing them. So then you get to play three on three and there's a lot of space for Paul George to work in there. You get those guard guard switches and he can just kind of attack, attack, attack the rim. I hadn't thought about, I hadn't thought about, them really going small. And most of that is just because Hartenstein's been so good. I was more thinking like, okay, if they were going to go small or if they did at times, it would cut into Hartenstein's minutes, but I figured they would want that, but maybe, yeah. I mean, how many minutes a game or how many minutes in the game do you think they will go with no Hartenstein or Zubats on the floor? Cause I wasn't, I wasn't really considering this, but I think you're right. I, it's a good question. I mean, I think it, this is just my, kind of viewpoint on this. I think it depends a lot on what Finch does at power forward. As long as Vanderbilt is in the game, there's no reason for Zoo to not play 40 yeah, yeah, minutes yeah. opposite cap. If uh if the Wolves make that adjustment really quickly and we get, you know, 30 plus minutes of Torian Prince at power forward, I think we could see a lot of small from the Clippers because they're comfortable going to this look where they switch everything. I mean, they've done this against great centers before. Uh, so it's not like, a, oh, we're not worried about Cat, but they'll switch everything. They know that he's going to get his, but they think they can more or less keep it within manageable le- levels and then just shred you on the other end of the court. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I just don't think I think if they put the Clippers in a position where Zoo has to guard Cat one on one and there's no. um like there's no one else that you can sag off of. That's where Cat's speed and his jump shooting ability. Oh yeah, he'll get them there. That, yeah. that that I think is where you die on defense if you're the Clippers because D'Angelo Russell turning the corner, Zoo playing and drop Cat makes seven threes. Like that that is where the Clippers probably lose this game. So that's where I think we could see them go small a lot. I mean, we've seen them in like even playing against Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, playing against DeAndre Ayton, go long long stretches without a center because they have this the length and switchability on defense. So, I mean, I don't know, but I would say it wouldn't shock me if we got even like a 50-50 big small split from the Clippers in this game. It also wouldn't shock me if the Clippers play big all 48 minutes, really just kind of reacting to what Finch does. What Finch lets them do, Yeah. right? Yeah, no, I, it's like... It's such an interesting, and we both are, we all agree, Finch and Lou are two of the better coaches in the league. It's just, at least as I understand it, like, it's interesting to me how willing 
Ty Lue is to just be like, okay, here's the game. Here's who we're, where we're playing. doesn't really matter what our past identity really, like what's going to work for this matchup. And I don't, and, and that is great. He's great at the adjustments of that. But what that, you know, what you kind of lose there, if you're the Clippers, is like some continuity. They usually figure that all out. But Finch has always prioritized this season continuity over like making the strategic change because, I mean, there's been teams this season where it doesn't make sense to start Jared Vanderbilt against them, but he starts Jared Vanderbilt against them because Jared Vanderbilt is their starting power forward and will get to the mix, will mix up in the flow of the game. Now, is Finch going to be a chess guy now that we're in the playoffs? I don't know. He usually leans on his foundation of a plan and then adjusts in the middle of the game. I just feel like what's one game you can't adjust too late, you know? So uh, I personally, I would prefer Finch to have the Ty Lue type mentality of like, throw it all out. How do we best counter this team? We know they got, we know they got a lot of answers for us. Let's tap into all the question marks, you know? And, well, what's yeah. what's interesting to, is is Ty actually <laughs> Ty is a big fan of letting Plan A fail before he adjusts. So, like, where a lot of times we'll be we'll be looking at the Clippers going into a series, like last season, we say they have to do X, and they won't. And then finally, in Game Three, he does it. And you know what I mean. So it's like he yeah. he kind of lets that Plan A fail, which I think this is you know this market um, we'll talk about you know, Marcus Morris, if he should start in this game, I don't think he should. I think he will. And then it won't work. And then Ty will adjust. I want to get uh, Rob's take on maybe mixing up the starting lineup, but we're going to go away uh, to our next quick break and we'll get it right when we come back. All right, Rob. So Marcus Morris, general perception aside in this game, Obviously, you want to play the Batum Zoo coverage against Cat and Vanderbilt. Yeah. And then it's it's three guards. Marcus Morris is not quick enough to guard. Um, I mean, I guess you could try to hide him on Beverly, but I like then you don't get to hide Reggie on Beverly. I want to play, I want to start Reggie Jackson. So this is a game, it just screams to me like even if Marcus Morris is the starting power forward going forward, you know, you go in against the Grizzlies and you want to start him against Jaron Jackson or whatever. In this game, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, right? I don't think it makes sense to start Marcus Morris in any game, but uh, that is <laughs> well well covered on our podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, Robert Covington is better than Marcus Morris at everything but creating his own shot, specifically for mid-range. And as we've discussed, Marcus Morris doing that in this game could actually be one of the worst outcomes for the Clippers if he's trying to post up D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley or whoever. Like, the Clippers don't really want him doing that. Um, so, like, I, I I think playing Robert Covington, who can do that Nick Batum style of defense, um, maybe not quite as well as Nick Batum. Um, I think not quite as stout as Nick Batum, um, but even better hands in terms of getting steals and, and getting blocks. Um, having him alongside Nick Batum or whenever Nick is not on the court playing him um, would be huge. So, yes, I would probably start Rocco in this one. Um and I, I think Norm Powell is probably going to be coming off the bench regardless. So I would also be interested to see um, no Rocco, but also Norm Powell and a Reggie, Norm, PG, Batum, Zoo lineup. 
Um, and I think that's probably more likely. I really cannot see Robert Covington starting. Um, but I, 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 Marcus Morris is going to start. Um, I wouldn't start him. I would probably start Robert Covington over him um, or start Norm Powell over him. But um, I don't think either of those things is going to happen. I think Morris, for better or worse, did, I think it's also locker room politics. And Morris is too much of a guy who's been around, has the respect of all the key Clippers players and coaching staff uh, to bench in a game that is like kind of a must win. So um, I would not start him. Um, I would not start him over Robert Covington against almost any team in any situation, but um, he is going to start. I, I would bet money. Yeah. I mean, I guess, so I, I know I agree with you. I think he is going to start, but it almost makes me wonder then if this we because we talk about this idea. Okay. Batum fronts cat. Yeah. Zoo plays behind and sags yeah. off Vanderbilt. So then the wolves pull Vanderbilt and put Prince in. So then the Clippers take zoo off and put, you know, probably Covington in and place, right. So like th- this kind of chess match that you get the back and forth, it makes me wonder if Ty Lue just decides to start like, like if we are thinking two moves ahead, he's like, no, we're just going to start with zoo playing cat straight up and Marcus on Vanderbilt. And th- they probably actually will cross match and put, Batum on D'Lo because they like Batum's length against quick guards but that that's not necessarily a super important point here but do you think that maybe that's just the answer like they start just kind of by playing cat straight I kind of don't think so I I would be surprised if they did um you know it's interesting because I think a lot of these questions would be very different if it was a seven game series um like in that situation I think starting zoo straight up on cat maybe it's something you try see how it works and then adjust and like also like as we've seen with Ty Lue when he has seven game series, we'll make big, big rotation adjustments after a game or two. And if it was a seven game series in game three, I could absolutely see him starting Robert Covington over Marcus Morris. Um, but in this particular game, I think he will go with the starting lineup that they've used most of the year or when healthy, which has been like 10 games. And I think that um, he will go with kind of their main defense against cat, which has been the, the fronting. So I don't think he'll do that. It, it wouldn't shock me. I think seeing him go zoo on cat straight up would be less surprising than Marcus Moore starting, not starting. Well, yeah. So, but I, so the question is Rob, who does Marcus Morris guard? I think may- maybe they've used Morris as the fronter versus Cat and put Batum on one of the guards. They could do that. I just don't – I don't think you can go – like, I don't think you can just go in and say, hey, tip off, Marcus, you're guarding Anthony Edwards. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. You just can't. Um, you can't. <laughs> that's right? not going to go well. Might as well have you guard Anthony uh, Edwards. Oh, like, put, put Morris on – put Morris on Cat then. Yeah, right? I think and that's have what Batum guard Yeah, happen, right? And, yeah. and that's what, what I thought was interesting when we were talking about you know, Prince coming in, the Clippers pulling Zubots. I don't really like the Morris as the fronter on Cat. That's not really his. Well, maybe he just that, guards like, it straight up, but then like yeah. maybe it's not a fronting. Like you're right. Yeah. And and I, I think we're going a little bit too far in saying it's fronting every time. Like Batum isn't fronting him every time. He's like, if if it's an empty side, like, and it's going to be easy for Cat to just get a catch and go, then it is. But a lot of it, that way they guarded him was just kind of like, Batum straight up on Cat, then on the bounce, Zubats comes over, you know? And I think you, I don't think like that guy necessarily needs to be great at that Cat part of the job because I don't think that's really the job. It's like Zubats is the job. So I think you can put Batum, Rocco, or Morris in that situation. They all just need to be like somewhat physical enough. And Rocco has that like big brother energy on Cat where, where he can do that. Like, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, 
I don't think it needs to be any of those three individuals. I just think you need to guard him that way. But Lucas, to talk to your point about letting plan A fail, they went to like the second game that when they played them after they beat the Wolves, they came out in the first quarter in a two, three zone, full court zone. And they picked up Reggie and uh, Terrence Mann, the top two there, and they pr- they picked them up full full court. And they went with zone and they just let it bleed. It got to be 16 to three. They said, okay, not doing that anymore. They had, then they went to the Batum guarding cat thing. It's because that's when Vanderbilt checks into the game in the like nine minutes into the first quarter. And so Zubats can go on Vanderbilt because they start in the second game. They started Prince and mm-hmm. Wolves start out the game off 16 to three weird two, three full court zone. I don't know what the hell that was, but they did it. And then Vanderbilt checks in and they go the Batum matchup and the rest of the game, that game finished 84 to 104. So 68 to 101 was the rest of the way. Once they went to the Batum on cat matchup, like it is going to be in an insane move that I will not understand by Ty Lue. If he goes to anything other than what any minute Vanderbilt's on the floor to not go to that. We just, yeah, we just have a proof of concept here. It's not even like a question in my mind. Yeah, and I, I, I even I was talking to a, uh, a friend about this the other day on the beat, and I said it wouldn't surprise me if the Clippers are down thirty-two to twenty in this game and then win a hundred to sixty-five the rest of the way because that's that's just so much the Ty Lue like, and I think Rob said it's it's uh, some of it is the Morris kind of rep in the locker room. It wouldn't surprise me if Marcus Morris plays the first eight minutes of this game and then play ends up with twenty minutes. <laughs> But if he's if he's playing really well, if it's working, if he's hitting shots, he could play 36, you know, but he's going to play the first eight. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's been awesome recently, right? No? Morris? I mean, he hit, he makes shots. He always, right? He, but he's he, a very good shot maker. Yeah, but he, he just... Um, I mean, I just haven't been watching them a ton, but when I have had them on, just trying to watch some for these games, I've, I've been kind of impressed with Morris. Now, obviously, you guys are watching it every day, so I... I trust where, where you're coming from. And I, I know sometimes a guy who looks like he's helping a lot has just kind of is like an existential drain or something, which is what it <laughs> sounds like you're getting at with, with Morris. He, but he, I, I'm, I'm just surprised to hear this. Cause I haven't, I haven't, I, don't, I haven't felt that. He doesn't do a lot within the team concept on either end. So like on defense, <laughs> on defense, he just doesn't move very well. Mm, and then okay. offensively so much of, what he gives you and it's really helped the Clippers this year because they've been so terrible offensively. Right. I talked about how a Morris post-up is fine, but not as good as their average possession. Well, this year their offense has been so bad. It actually is. It, it does work out. The math works out, but what, what they're best at when they get that paint and spray collapse the defense, find the corner shooters, he's an elite corner shooter. But when they take these possessions where it's like, we're just going to stare at him and throw it into the post. It takes them out of that ball movement. So there, it's like a maybe like a too much of a good thing type of thing with Marcus Morris. Where like if you just let him stand in the corner, like he's lethal. But he wants more you, than that. Yeah, or the team maybe this year has needed him to be more than that. Okay. I also think what we what we've seen from him in these couple of seasons with the Clippers is he doesn't move great defensively anymore, and that's a problem when he's playing with Zubats. But when they go small and they use him at center and he doesn't have to cover as much ground, 
his strength is a real asset compared to like Batum, who's the much, much better defender and much lengthier, but not as strong. So that's why I talk about if the Clippers take Zubats off the floor, Morris is probably the guy who takes Cat because he's got he's got the strength. And then they bring Batum and George and Covington kind of strategically with their long arms and their good hands to go for those deflections or like stunt at a double and make Cat think he's going to throw in the pass, but then you go back and you intercept it, right? So that's where they bring all this trickery in from the other guys. They let Morris with his strength kind of be the center of the small ball. My thing, Dane, is less about Morris. I actually, I'm... Like I've said, I, I'm notoriously not a Marcus Morris fan. It's less really about him and his play than the fact that Nick Batum and Robert Covington are just better than him. Um, yeah. I think Marcus I Morris is like a totally fine NBA rotation player. Um, he's a, a lethal three-point shooter. Um, he can create his own shot. It's been helpful. He does have enough size to be you know, not useless on defense. Um, but Nick Batum is, is better than him at, at just about everything, really, outside of, again, creating his own shot, which the Clippers don't necessarily need a ton of when they have Paul George and Norm Powell and Reggie Jackson together. And Robert Covington's defense has been, like, unbelievably good since he came over, and he's been nailing all of his open threes. So, like, I, I just think it's My less guy. about Morris, who, like, does his job. Like, Marcus Morris has done his job this year. Um, he's yeah. been fantastic in the locker room by all accounts, but I just think the other two guys are better. So it's, it's really less about as much as I complained about him. It's less about him. Uh, and I think he's done his job admirably, yeah. admirably this year. It's just Roko and, and Nico are, are much better. Yeah. No, I, Ro- I think you're getting right. like a stealer block every eight minutes as a clipper. <laughs> and he's making 44% of like 11 threes per 100 possessions. Like he's insane. If he did this for a whole season, he would be defensive player of the year. Right. If he had like a big role on this team and he did this, what he's done in these 500 minutes, if he did that in 2000 minutes, he would like win defensive player. Wow. Wow. I, I think like to the, the, the Morris point, like I think if the wolves win this game, we will be going back and watching the game and we will be like, man, the Clippers took like 15 shots in this game that were, they didn't need to. Like they chose to take those 16 footers. Again, I was like, I was talking about with Paul George trying to split the coverage, or if they run, if the Wolves run any drop, and he's like, oh, you're going to run drop against me? I'm going to, you know, shoot, like I'll step into him. And if the Wolves have won the game, it'll be because those shots have missed from Paul George and or Morris, like, is trying to cook from the mid range himself, you know? And Jackson. Yes. And Jackson, too, for sure. The Wolves literally dare teams to shoot threes against them and they will even though the clippers are have a ton of personnel to do that the only way the wolves can play competent defense is by daring teams to shoot threes so if you're the clippers take them up on that do not take them up on on marcus morris 15 footer faders all that sort of thing but again this stuff doesn't always operate in a hyper logical like bubble because of the locker room dynamics you talked about from Morris, maybe he feels like he's got to shoot 15 shots in a playing big game because I got to get us to the playoffs. Or Paul George, you know, maybe he wants to be like, actually, we're really here. Like, we're the eighth I'm seed, back. but we're, yeah, I'm back. And I'm trying to get 45 in this play-in game and, like, get us going momentum to Memphis. Like, I think Wolves fans are saying, please try and do that. Please try and beat us independently. Paul George and Marcus Morris, because we know we can't guard you. We cannot guard your team. The Timberwolves cannot guard the Clippers as a team. They know that. So 
what they will literally try and do is lure those guys and Reggie into into taking over in, in individual basketball. And I don't know. I don't know about enough about the Clippers to know if those guys will will take the bait or not, but that's huge. I, th- I think one of the difficult things is no one knows enough about the Clippers, <laughs> right? No because because we, we haven't seen this team very much. But what I will say is that the Clippers uh, currently have won going into this last game against Oklahoma City. They've won five of their last six. And in those six games, since Paul George returned, although he didn't play uh, in one of these games, I think he played in the other five. He might have sat two of them. He's had one. No, he just sat yeah, one. Yeah, he's had one. He, but yeah. so in these six games, but they've they made 46% of their threes, 18 makes per game. That is a recipe for a win in this game against the Wolves. I agree right. with you. I I think that it's when if they try to get away from it, um, you know, or if they just turn the ball over too much, right? If they can't successfully find those seams against the blitz and just execute the passes, live ball turnovers is how you let the wolves like you might score 120 by hitting some threes, but the wolves might also score 120 because you gave them. 20 points off turnovers against you. Uh, I want to go ahead. I did. I just have a weird question. That's like somewhat adjacent to this. So I was looking at cleaning the glass and it says defensively that the Clippers play in the half court defensively in the 28th with the 28th frequency, which would imply that teams get out in transition against them all the time. Right. But it also says that they play in transition defense with the 28th frequency so do teams actually get out and run against the clippers or no because i don't get it i don't understand how those numbers work like that uh, i think the clippers overall just play at, at a below average pace which might explain how they can be low uh, in both categories in terms of the amount of possessions that they allow in transition versus in the fast break uh, the they're clippers old. are they're, they're old they're and old slow. They're old and slow. So, so what happens is a lot of possessions that uh, maybe wouldn't be transition possessions for most teams become transition possessions against the Clippers because they're, they're a slow team. Or like where maybe you try to push it and then you slow it down. Well, against the Clippers, you try to push it and it opens up, so you keep going. Mm. Uh, the Clippers are also very bad at transitioning to offense yeah. uh, when, they get, when they get turnovers. By yeah, a they mile. Are, I was like, they are, Whoa. they are the, this again and again, you know, Norma Powell and Paul George being back changes a lot of the calculus, but over the 82 games, 81 games so far, this mm. Clippers team has been the worst transition offense NBA team I have ever seen. Atrocious. They, I mean, it is like, Dude, it's, it's like, literally like three want, points you, between them at 30th. They don't know how to run fast breaks. They, they, Dane, it's like like simple, like elementary school two-on-one. They will find a way to turn it over. Like they are terrible. I, I've I've coached middle school teams that run better fast break fundamentals than the Clippers. It's not even like, oh, like, because okay, so to an extent, it's because they're slow and they're older. But even when they have clean, good transition opportunities, they just make like stupid mistakes. Sounds like error. I don't think this, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm I just think, being real. I mean, like it does. I, I think it's a little bit – their offense has just been so bad that they're almost like, oh, my God, I have a chance to get an easy shot. Like, they've, <laughs> they've had to work sure. so hard for every possession sure. this year. But I'm not sure that that's really going to be a huge thing in this game because, again, Paul George and Norman Powell are both going to have huge roles to play. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just 
it takes a lot of like the, you know, decision-making out of other guys' hands in those transition opportunities, puts more dynamism and athleticism on the court for the Clippers. But yeah, I mean, they the transition, transition has killed the Clippers both ways this season, for sure. That's where, if there's probably a number to watch for me in this game, it wouldn't be the Clippers three-pointers. I think the Clippers will take and make a lot of three-pointers in this game. It's going to be the Clippers' turnovers. Because if they if they take and make a lot of three-pointers but only turn the ball over eight times, then the Wolves won't be able to score as many points as them. If they take and make a lot of three-pointers but turn the ball over 18 times, the Wolves will get 20 more three-point. Like, live ball turnovers are going to turn into points against the Clippers at a much higher rate than they do against anyone else in the league. That makes sense. The, the Clippers, like, just for me, it's interesting, like, I don't know what to think about this. You, you can't do any. You can't do anything to try and understand this team because the numbers are fairly irrelevant. And you try and go watch them, and the watching feels fairly irrelevant. It's like uh, maybe this is wrong, but I, it's kind of like one of those situations where you just kind of like know who the eight or nine guys are going to play for the Clippers, and you just think about those guys are good. You know, like yeah. there's just not a lot of examples of trying to be like, Oh, this is what they do. Like, I don't think we know exactly, or I don't think I know exactly or can look it up in any sort of way to know what I feel really nervous about the Clippers being able to do against the like vice and vice versa, just because well, I, it, they've been all over the be, place. It's like hell. It's like video coordinator hell because it's like the Clippers have had, have like, maybe 10 minutes of Norman Powell and Paul George on the court together this season to watch. Right. I was like, trying to, I was those trying are to their, find those I... are their two best players. So I, I don't know. And it's to the point that's a, that works against the Clippers too. Like, I don't know if a Norman Powell, if you could, if you could have had these guys together for 60 games, Norm would play 40 minutes in this game, but maybe Norm now only play sees, you know, 20 minutes off the bench because of this kind of continuity effect. There were some in this last game last night against the Kings, like, you could see whoever was like Norm came in with the starters for a shift and you could see Marcus Morris giving him directions in the offense. Like mm. you don't want to see that in your last tune-up game before the postseason. that you're what, you know, your second best player is still getting directions on where he's supposed to be offensively. So yeah, I mean, it's really tricky for the Clippers and to scout them, right? Like it's, right. It, it, it's hard to really know who the team is. And then you look at how versatile they are. Like, are you scouting to play against, Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Davita Zubats? Or are you scouting to play against Terrence Mann, Paul George, Nico Batum, Robert Covington, and Marcus Morris? Like those teams are insanely divorced in terms yes. of what they can do to you, uh, which is what the, it's by design. Like the Clippers front office wants to be able to play multiple ways, but it, it is be, before we jump into this next break, I just want to ask you we've talked about most of the rotation guys on these teams so far, like the guys who are sure to play. I'm interested in Jalen Noel. And if he's a guy who, especially if they go small, if they put more of these Prince minutes of power forward, if Vanderbilt and McDaniels are kind of trimmed out, if Noel sees some of these backup guard minutes, because he's another guy who I can see scoring, just like coming in and somehow having, you know, 16 points in 12 minutes and, kind of swinging a shift yeah it's a good question i don't think he'll play okay. um just it's kind of a numbers pinch 
again, we're assuming the Wolves are going to start their traditional five. Pat Bev and Vando with the big three. Then you got Nas as the backup five. Um, you got TP, McDaniels, Jordan McLaughlin will get ba- the backup, you know, point guard minutes. And it there's just, I mean, it's playoffs, man. It's you trim it, you're trimming it down. The only way I could see Jalen Noel get onto the floor is if the, it could be like in the third quarter or second quarter or something. And it becomes so clear that what the Wolves need is somebody to be able to punish switches. And the, the Clippers are just effectively switching five against the Wolves. That's been like when Noel doesn't have a cutout role for a game or a period of time, he will still get into the mix when a team just effectively switches five, which is something the Clippers do. But I still think if I had to like guess if he's going to play or not, I would say no, because I'm assuming they're going to try and play Cat and Ant and D'Lo all upper upper 30s, 40 minutes in this game. So there's just not that much time. And I think some of the other bench pieces are just more important to the Wolves' identity than Jalen Noel is. As much as I, I like, like Jalen Noel is a dude who, if he was on one of like the Blazers for this past month or something, he would actually have averaged like 28 a game. He yeah. just, he can score. Ter- this defense is not there, um, all that, but. It's just it's this weird sort of thing where he is like a bench bucket getter, but you're on a team that has three super high usage offensive players in Ant, Cat, and D'Lo. So there's just never really been this space for him um, to kind of coexist when the roster's at full health. And it does seem like the Wolves will be at 100% health for this game. But I don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about him. I'd guess he doesn't play in this game. Rob, let me let me ask you the other side of that coin, which is the guy who uh, is on the fringes for the Clippers, Luke Kennard. What does the role look like for Luke Kennard in this game? I think you you touched on it earlier. It depends how comfortable the Clippers are with playing Norm Powell big minutes. Um, if Norm Powell plays thirty minutes or more, I don't know where Luke Kennard gets more than a handful of minutes from. Um, you know as good as Luke has been this season and I've been very happy with how he's played. Um, he's another guy where like, they just have so much shooting. Like Luke Kennard is the best pure shooter on the team. I think the funny thing about the, the Clippers broadcast says Luke Kennard's the best shooter in the NBA because he has the highest three point percentage. I mean, he's not the best three point per, three point shooter on the team. When you factor in difficulty, it's, it's Paul George. Um, but like with Norm Powell back, they have so many shooters who also do other things I don't necessarily think Luke Kennard plays that much, but like with Luke, it's, it's very much like a, if he's hot, like you absolutely have to keep him in because when he gets hot, like he just, I never think he misses. Um, And this could easily be a game. Like if the Clippers are getting the paint and spray, they are getting downhill, especially with that second unit. I think the second unit, the, the hybrid second unit, the Clippers might run out, which will include Terrence Mann, Norm Powell, Paul George, Robert Covington, and either Hartenstein if they're big or maybe Luke Kennard if they're small. Um, that unit, I think, could destroy the Timberwolves because it has probably the Clippers' three best players on it in Rocco, PG, and Norm. And if those guys are getting downhill and Luke Kennard is just draining three-point shots, like, sure, you, you play him 20 minutes. But if he misses his first few, I think you can be totally fine not playing him that many and shifting his minutes to, to better defenders. Yeah, I almost wonder if Luke is a guy that that is more kind of on spot minutes duty. Like you said, there might be a certain lineup where you're like, 
oh, actually, like, Luke is the guy to throw in here. But it's almost like, you know, because he doesn't give you a lot on the defensive end and you've got to keep up with uh, D'Lo and Russell for probably 40 minutes, there's only so many, like, hiding on Pat Bev minutes that you have. Uh, now, you could probably put – you can have Luke guard Torian Prince if Prince comes in and Beverly comes off. They can use him there for sure. That's where I'd put him. Yeah, sure. I think uh, – but if Prince is going to come in at the four, then you, it just starts getting a little bit trickier to, to make these cross matches. But I do think – I think it's more mostly spot minutes for him. I think Terrence is just ahead of him in terms of what Terrence does for the Clippers defensively. But I can see two two real things for Luke in this game is – if Reggie Jackson is playing very poorly, I think that you can put Luke in some of the starting shifts against Patrick Beverly and let him be a shot maker with Paul George and or Norman Powell doing more of the ball handling. If Reggie's just not managing that role well, uh, the Clippers are going to, the Clippers are going to live or die with Reggie Jackson. They're not going to go away from him entirely, but it could be a 32 minute game for Reggie instead of a 40 minute game for Reggie. If he's not playing well, and the other thing would be, we've seen, we've saw this adjustment in the playoffs at times last year. If they're playing this, you know, Paul George gets blitzed. He drags the defense out, hits the guy in the high post, kick it out to the guy in the corner for the open three. And just guys aren't shooting well. Time might just go like, fine, we're going to put Luke in that corner. And you know, Luke, Luke's not going to go out and shoot one of seven on that type of quality of shot. Marcus, now Marcus is a very good shooter. Marcus Nico, Rocco, they all might have – guys might have cold games. Luke might – he like he has cold games taking high-difficulty shots. If he's catching those open corner threes, he's going to make yep. them. So those are the places where I see – I can see Luke coming in as a reaction. I'm not sure how many places Luke is in plan A in the Clippers rotation just because of, of the other guys they have. Um, all right, we're going to go away to one more quick break. Uh, we, we're well past our time, but we're just – we're getting into it. Um, and tackle some of these Twitter questions to wrap up. We'll be right back after this. All right. Coming back, wrapping up the play-in preview pod between the Clippers and the Timberwolves with some questions from our Twitter followers. Dane, first question for you is, how have your perceptions and thoughts on Patrick Beverly changed seeing him you know, on your team versus – on opposing teams in the past yeah i was never really like a hated pat bev guy you know Good i know man. that the common the common narrative right is you know love him on when he's on your team hate him when he's on the other team i don't know i just i didn't come in with that sort of baggage for one reason i, I don't know i've always just was kind of like this is a very interesting defensive player i would love to play with that you know that type of defensive player um I think the biggest thing that has changed in my perception is what Pat has done offensively. Uh, he came in here and it seemed like a absolute lock that he was going to be a 40% catch and shoot three point guy, not doing that at all shooting. Not well from three this season, but still having an offensive impact because he's playmaking on this team. You know, he, he starts at the two, I guess, but he, he brings the ball up sometimes and, you know, is initiating the offense. He always rolls it up. It's so slow. And it's like the antithesis of the pace that the Wolves want to do, but it's what Pat wants to do. So they do it. Um, but also on the second side, he's been a good play playmaker. You know, he's ran way more pick and roll than he has 
through throughout his career. He's his assist numbers are up. Like they've put the ball in his hands to be way more than a bit offensive role player, which has he's actually done well in those playmaking opportunities. And that's made up for what they've lost by him not being his same, you know, 40% catch and shoot self. Um, but yeah, he's, I don't even think that's a me thing. I think Pat just is, he's changed his perception this year because he is playing different for the Timberwolves than he played for the Clippers. When we talk about like the full universe of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I remember you and I talking about this um, in like, October or November in the early games. And I I was like, yeah, I mean, he's not a high usage guy. Like you're not going to, you're not going to have him be your point guard in a sense. Like he runs 50 pick and rolls, but he's better than people give him credit. For. Like he's not Luke and Bob Mute, Who's like, yeah, just, right. Like he's only a play finisher. Like, like you said, a secondary pick and roll, the little floaters he makes in the lanes. He almost never turns the ball over. Uh, which is in part because he's not trying to do a bunch of stuff that other guys like Reggie Jackson is trying to beat his man off the dribble every play. Pat's a little more playing within himself, but like almost never makes a mistake offensively. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, he did have some pretty bad mistakes in that first game. Tech <laughs> when he slapped Luke's hand. Oh, okay. I'm, and yeah, then yeah, the yeah. inbound, like, I mean, Pat has been poised this year. But he lost them the first game against the Clippers by losing his head with Luke at the end of it, which, you know, obviously Pat is volatile emotionally. That's like the one example this season where he completely kind of lost his mind for a few minutes and it, it cost the Wolves. It cost the Wolves that, that game. So I think there's always like a risk just in kind of the maniacal way Pat goes about things. Yeah, that he could get a little hot against the Clippers and, you know, and make some turn some bad decisions at the end of the game. But for the most part, you're right. Like been a good playmaker, done his thing all year. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he gets uh, tossed on a flagrant two in the first quarter and it changes the whole game. <laughs> Marcus Morris is also prone to do that. Um, yeah. But that, you know, might help the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> Rob. Do you have any concern? Oh, well, let me let me credit who's asking these questions. It was Mr. Bandito had that question for Dane about Pat Bev. Uh, this is Alex Gavrishev. Rob, do you have any concern about Paul George's lack of two-point scoring since coming back from that elbow injury? Almost all of his damage has come from behind the three-point line or at the free throw line. Not a lot of two-point shots made for him since his return. Uh, not particularly. He looks healthy to me. He's he's played overall very sharply. I think for me, the, the thing with Paul George, as we've discussed throughout, is is it's all about the process with him. Um, and like he's such an amazing three point shooter. I genuinely don't care. He could take 15 threes. I, Paul George is one of the best three point shooters ever when you take into account volume and, you know, the difficulty of shots that he takes. He is an incredible three point shooter. He could take 15 threes and two, th two twos and gets the line a few times and I would be more or less happy. Um, it depends some sometimes on the quality of those threes. Like if they're just, you know, him dribbling for 15 seconds and then launching, that's obviously not good. But when he's feeling it and he, you know, when he's running that, that high pick and roll and like he's able to get to his spots, um, like there's a, a slight slip in the defense and he gets that daylight. Like I'm totally fine with him launching. So no, I mean, I, I think he looks healthy. He's played very sharply. His passing has been incredible. Um, three point shot making is has been great. So 
long story short, no. Again, I, I'd actually be more worried if he does decide, as they mentioned, to kind of take a lot of these mid-range twos um, because it's something he is prone to doing. He is very good at that too because he's an exceptional Hall of Fame basketball player, uh, but it's not his best shot. And um, I think I think he's going to be, if he does fail, it might be because he's taking too many twos and not enough threes, if anything. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that his lack of two-point shots made since his return is a like playing cautious scared of hurting that elbow type of thing because he's got he's got a lot of free throw attempts since his return uh he's got two double digit free throw attempts in these five games that he's played and he's creating a lot of assists from going downhill so i think it's just more uh, almost like better right like like you said rob he's not settling for those shots you don't want him to take and it does kind of feel like with dane talking about like how you beat the wolves it feels like the Clippers have been modeling that since Paul George's return, like very much this more passive. Uh, now he has had these high, he's, you know, scored 34 points in his first game back, but a lot of these games, Paul George, 22 points, 15 points, 19 points, and not taking very many two point shots, but the Clippers as a team making, you know, 20 of 42 from three in a game. So it seems like they've been sort of modeling, uh, that exact offense. I don't know if it's something they're consciously doing because they've known it's going to be the Wolves for what feels like forever now, but you know, or if it's just kind of how this team defaults did, to play. Did nobody give did nobody give the Wolves a chance in LA of like getting up to the six? Was it? Uh, I mean, honestly, have you been? How long have you been planning on it being the Wolves? Well, let's see. I'll tell you that I was. Uh, by the time that I was confident that the Clippers were going to finish eight and not nine, I was confident the Wolves were going to be seven. <laughs> it's been we're, like, we're talking, right. we're talking probably late February, early March. I've been like, yeah, seven, eight Wolves Clippers. Uh, I know that they did, they did really give Denver a run for their money down the stretch, but I was kind of always like, yeah, I guess we'll deal with that if it happens. But um, mm-hmm. it, it, it certainly hasn't been clinched since recently, but yeah, I've been like Clippers Wolves seven, eight is going to be the game for, probably six weeks now. Yeah. yeah. Aspirationally, everyone's been like, you know, for, for, I mean, the Wolves became the seven seed on January 31st and they just stayed there. Yeah. Despite going like 20 something and 10, you know, <laughs> it was just a bizarre bottom of the standings because they, I mean, there was a while the Clippers were ahead of the Wolves and then the Wolves just like were past yeah. them and it didn't even be, that wasn't even a competition anymore. It was just Dallas and Denver above them. And now, like, you're just hamster wheeling it, right? Like, because those teams were winning as, as much. too. But that, that's just interesting from the, the other side. I think that's, like, the objectively right yeah. take. Is, like, I mean, it was, yeah. I, it was probably going to be the Wolves. Never, like, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The Clippers had these three games against the Lakers, like, early February, late February, early March. I think it was, like, maybe February 3rd, February 27th, March 3rd. And they'd already won the first game against the Lakers. So I'm like, if they win two of these three, they're going to finish in eighth. The Lakers aren't going to pass mm. them. And they won all three. Uh, mm. And then the Lakers totally bottomed out after that and won like, you know, five and 21 of their last 26 or something. So, right. but up, up until that point, I was like, the Clippers might not finish eighth. And then who cares who's seventh, right? Uh, but yeah. by the time that I knew the Clippers would be eighth, I was pretty sure, equally sure that the Wolves would be, would be right. seventh. Yeah. Let me, let's wrap up with, with one last question here. Let me go figure figure out who asked it because I remembered the question, but not who did it. Uh, Clipper Vlad asks, what is the closing lineup versus Minnesota? And I'm actually, what I'll do is I'll have each of you 
uh, tell me what your kind of closing lineup is for this game. We've both, we've all established. We don't think either of these coaches are going to preemptively change their starters, but down the stretch fourth quarter, let's say, let's say it's six minutes left and the game is tied uh, and you don't get any context clues about what's happened in the first 42 minutes. What's your five man unit that you trust in this matchup to close with Dane, you want to go first? Yeah. Well, okay. I'm just going to do what I think Finch would do because I think I've already pretty well stated that I think in this matchup, a really good five to roll with is the big three plus Prince and Beasley. But I think what we'll see, I mean, Finch's initial preference would be able, would be to just close with the normal starters, which is Vanderbilt and Beverly next to them. But the one closing, the most, frequent closing lineup tweak we see is McDaniels at the four instead of Vanderbilt. So I think that will probably, that's most likely to be the closing five. It like doesn't actually answer any of the questions that this Clippers defense presents against them, but it's like, well, McDaniels, you could take that three, you know, like it's like enough. So I think it'll be cat at the five McDaniels at the four ant at the three and then D'Lo and Pat Bev. In, in the backcourt. Now, I will say, I think that's a bad idea. I think, again, that this is just a game and situation that demands a little bit more creativity. I think the Clippers are very unique. And you kind of got to, like, I don't know, have a couple different ideas. of the Maybe it is the starting five. Maybe it's just the Zubats Batum thing doesn't kill you that much. And then you can just stick with your five. Maybe it is McDaniels. Maybe it is the other things. But, like, I'm really curious to see how much Chris Finch just goes, like, out of pocket and is, like, we're just going to do what's working right now, and that's going to be what our closing lineup is. I'd like to think he has that in him, but we honestly haven't seen a lot of that this season. The play-in tournament, is it's such an interesting spot to be in as a coach because you almost feel like – Let's say you're, you're, you know, if you're in a situation, any team doesn't not say necessarily Finch in the Wolves, but if you're a coach of a team in the first play in game as in the seven, eight one, right. Where you don't necessarily need to win. You could win the next mm-hmm. one. At what point do you throw, throw everything away and try to take, make some, you know, last grasp at mm-hmm. trying to pull back this game. And then you have to come back 48 hours later and say, okay, guys, back to our core principles, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's easier right. to do in an elimination game than it is in a double elimination game. Uh, I also think one interesting kind of tweak to the playing tournament this year, the fact that the 7-8 games will be on Tuesday and then the 9-10 games will be on Wednesday, Thursday will be off. So mm-hmm. these teams will, whoever loses this game, will have two days of rest, not just one day of rest like it was last season. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to say, Okay, Cat. Okay, Paul George. Okay, Ant. Go play, play 44 40. minutes, yeah. right? Like, even if we're down, you know, down 15 That's in the fourth point. quarter. Yeah, Cat, play the whole 12 minute fourth quarter down 15. Let's try to pull something back because you're going to have that one day rest advantage. All right, Rob, I bought you enough time. Give me your give me your closing Clippers lineup. Tie game, six minutes left against the Wolves. I will default to not necessarily what I think is the best lineup, but what I think will be Ty Lue's, uh warm blanket lineup uh which will be uh, what he goes to when he who needs to be comfortable and the guys who he trusts the absolute most it's gonna be reggie jackson norm powell paul george nick batu marcus morris um i would love to play robert covington i think he marcus morris will play over him and i i think that 
if the game is close down the stretch, I don't think Ivica Zubac will be on the court. Yeah, it, it, I think it's possible. Like, it's so much of the Clippers is reacting to what Doris Finch opens for them. If Vanderbilt is playing, maybe Zoo does close and you play in that look. But I agree with Rob. That's the five that I had in mind for the Clippers as well. I would like to say on the perfect version of the Clippers, on maybe the next year Clippers, you play whoever's having a good game between Reggie and Norm plus Paul. And then Rocco comes in as an extra defender shooter. But I just don't think. I don't think there's a like Reggie Jackson not on the court to close a close game. He's just been too important to the Clippers this season. He's been their best. He's been the best player in total for 82 games. Or Paul George obviously better in the games he plays in, but Reggie is the heart of the team. Uh, I, it's just hard to see benching him in a down the stretch of a big game. And so then to get Norm out there, it's got to be alongside him, which means you've got to sacrifice a forward. And again, Nico, Marcus are the guys who are established. Rocco is probably the guy who gets sacrificed. So, yeah, I, I do think that that'll probably be the closing five for the Clippers, unless the uh, Timberwolves play in a way that allows Zubats to stay on the court and it's working. But if that's the case, it's probably not a tie game with six minutes left. So I'm, <laughs> I'm with Rob. I'm with Rob. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, I believe the line for this game is Wolves minus 1.5 at home. What are you thinking, Dan? You're shaking your head. The the folks listening can't. I don't see know, that. man. It's like you know, I I cover the wolves. I don't want to be the guy who's like picking against the team I cover. But I'm just. It doesn't. It doesn't make. I don't. Would be really. I would love to hear an argument that says why the wolves are the favorite in this game. I just we've we've been talking for damn ninety minutes. And almost every one of the topics were like, well, maybe the wolves can do this to counter this dominant move the Clippers have. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's got to be, you got to give a lot of credit to home court advantage in a playoff set, set up to pick the Wolves. You got to have a ton of belief in the, like the concept of a big three, like outweighing a group, which I'm not even sure that's how that works. I Maybe it's kind of better to have a team than three dominant guys. But I guess like Cat, Ant, and D'Lo will all have to have good games. And that doesn't happen very often. That's usually, it's usually like if it's zero of them, they lose it. They lose every time. If one of them plays, it's like, ah, we're probably losing this game. Two of them play well, they're probably winning. And then if all three of them play well, they definitely win. Like that's just how it's it's gone this year. But the, the frequencies of all those things are off. I like, even if Kat and Ant and D'Lo are all playing effectively in this game, it's still hard for me if I could know that to say they still are definitely going to beat the Clippers. I just feel like the Clippers are going to kill the Wolves defense. So you, it becomes a requirement for the Wolves offense to be awesome, which it should be again, number one offense in the NBA the past three months. But I just feel like the Wolves is a, are a team who were put together with a weird small roster by a GM who's no longer with the team who had very new agey views of how to put a team together. It's just the group they have. The coach doesn't think the way the GM thought the new GM doesn't either. This is just kind of like the group they got. And it's imperfect enough to me to be beaten even at home 
by a team that has Paul George on it and surrounded by shooters. Now, I think it'll actually be close game. I think it'll be a close game. But, you know, if I had to put money, gun to my head, whatever, I, I, I don't know how to not pick the Clippers in this matchup. Yeah, I'll say, and, you know, you said you don't want to be the guy who picks against the team he covers. I hate to be the guy who just, oh, pick the team, yeah. right? pick my team. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was talking with, with a buddy yesterday, a couple of days ago, and I was saying, you know, I, I've picked a, like 80% of Clippers games right this year, which is I not like a lot of them are obvious wins, obvious losses. So I'm not, not against the spread straight up. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. it's easy, but um, he was like, Oh, well tell me, you know, for their rest of their games, tell me what to pick. And I said, buy as many points as you can against the wolves in the seven, eight, eight game. Um, you know, now they're not going to let you buy 15 points, but if you can take like Clippers minus eight and get great odds on it, I mean, I don't think the Clippers are going to beat them by 30, but um, I, I think the Clippers, the Clippers just have answers to every, to every question the Wolves can ask of them. And I don't think the Wolves have answers to that. The Clippers, whatever they have to do to answer the question you're asking, they're then going to ask you back a question that you can't answer. They just have Tyloo has, he's a, he has a deeper roster with more versatile players. And so there's just more that he can do to adapt like I keep using this phrase, the doors that Chris Finch leaves open, Ty Lue has the personnel to walk through any door. And Chris mm-hmm. Finch doesn't have the personnel to shut them all. So I, I, do, think, I do think it's a Clippers win. Um, but it's one game. It's one night. Anything can happen. Yeah. You've talked about, they've got those three really dynamic stars. D'Angelo Russell is a guy, uh, you know, and Anthony Edwards. Clippers have trouble with dribble penetration from guards and stopping that. They can get a lot of downhill drives and really – you know, I think for the Wolves to win, it's going to have to be both teams in the 120s. But I think Dude, the Wolves just, could just also- another reason the ball containment thing. Another reason don't play Vanderbilt. Space it out. Let yeah. Ant attack the lane where Zubats or Batum or whoever have to scramble over to help there. Again, Vanderbilt great does good stuff. Every single time you start talking about what the Clippers are bad at, Jared Vanderbilt helps that. He, that yeah. area of the game. It's he like he's a cushion the for them, you know, and he does other great things. He'll grab some offensive rebounds. He looks electric. He can guard PG. But when we're talking about these holes in the Clippers, Vanderbilt almost fills them up for the Clippers. So yeah, that's just, a, that's a good, another good example. And yeah. if Zubats is chilling at the rim, it will not go. He doesn't want to get hit by Zubats over and over again. Yeah. He'll go if it's just like, I got to beat my guy off the dribble and like sprint past this scrambling over Covington to the basket. Ant doesn't like physicality at the rim and zoo will clobber him. I would, I yeah. mean that that's a good strategy. Honestly, if you're the, if you're the Clippers. And if Isaiah Hardenstein comes in, that dude loves to foul. Yeah. Like 17 <laughs> fouls per 100 possessions or something. Not really, but it's a lot. Uh, he like leads the team. I think he's like all season has been like 1A, 1B, Zubats, and Hartenstein in terms of just fouls committed. Hey, man, he's behind Cat and McDaniels, though. <laughs> those those dudes are both like, well, Hartenstein is too. Lesser minutes, but yeah, that I can't believe we haven't even talked about this either. Cat's probably going to get in foul trouble in the game. Or there's like a 30, 40% chance Cat gets in foul trouble in this game. Like, and that's then a it's huge the, Then it's the Nas Reed show. <laughs> and, <then laughs> and as they say... On to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob, Minnesota minus 1.5. What do you think? I mean, I think Clippers should probably be favored. 
Um, I, I actually think I probably like their chances a little bit better than both of you. Um, I'm the guy we have really not talked much about at all is Anthony Edwards. And I think, you know, zoo is a guy who will be goes very strong with the rim. Hartenstein will foul. Um, but Ant is, is the guy that I don't, I don't know if the Clippers have a great option on him. Um, Paul George is a guy who I think a couple years ago would have been very good, but, um, maybe slowed a little bit against those super quick. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a blur. He's fast. He's quick. Um, he's explosive. I don't know if the Clippers have a great option on him. Um, you know, and I, I, Carl Anthony Towns is great. Like I think the Clippers do have a great defense to deploy against him. Um, but again, like we've discussed if Carl Anthony Towns could still, you know, torch the Clippers, even if they play good defense on him, I think Anthony, Anthony Edwards, Anthony Davis is chilling at home in Cancun. Uh, Anthony uh, Edwards could absolutely go off. So I, I would pick the Clippers. I I think they probably should be favored. Um, but I, I agree. I think it will be a close game. I think it will be very, very hard fought. And um, it would it would really not shock me if the Wolves won, but I, I would I would pick the Clippers. I think they do have more tools and, and more strategies and and more versatile lineups that they can play. Well, and I think that it's it's also going to be the type of game. Look, the Wolves have a lot to play for, uh, and not just in terms of like obviously the stakes are the same for both teams, but in terms of pride, culture, like. The Clippers are probably the team that can kind of go like, yeah, we kind of have this plan. We're going to go play this game. Uh, if it doesn't work out, if we lose, we'll go play the next game. We'll probably win that one, right? Um, the Wolves are the team that's like, hey, we have not been in the playoffs in like years for so long. <laughs> for so long since the Wolves have been in the playoffs. And now it's like, okay, a home playoff game at Target Center. This is going to be the type of game every little seven to two run it's going to be electric in that in that stadium, uh, yeah. and, and you know it's it's it, it, it's going to be a factor. Like Tyloo is going to have to use timeouts, where in a normal game or if the game was was in LA, he wouldn't have to use timeouts just because you know Anthony Edwards made two threes in a row. In this game, you're going to have to use a timeout, uh, and that's a good point. Yeah, I, so I, I I think just like maybe I'm undervaluing the home court advantage. I never know how to prof- properly yeah. quantify that because, you know, there's some games where you're like, damn, that game totally had, a, that was both ways, not just the Wolves, the teams they play against too, where you're like, man, I could feel the home court advantage. But more games than not, honestly, I'm like, I don't think that really did anything, you know? Like, but a play-in game on the line situation should certainly skew towards, yeah, the, you know, the, the very impactful. So, I, I mean, I think that's why the spread is what it is what it is. Yeah, but but I, you know, the flip side of that coin, and I want to give give the Wolves and especially Wolves fans credits. Like like I'm so happy for the Wolves and for Wolves fans that they've gotten to have this season with this group uh, because it, I mean I have I have quite a few friends like Twitter friends who are Wolves fans. It's just you know I, I'm it's happy for fun, I'm man. happy for the Wolves. It's been fun. It's been a fun year. Like the clip the Clippers last season. Went into Dallas down 0-2, went down 32 and 11 in Dallas in game three and came back to win that game in the series. And like when they were down 32 to 11, there were 20,000 people standing and screaming in Dallas and the Clippers won that game. They went into Utah without Kawhi Leonard uh, and won game five right after Kawhi Leonard tears his ACL in Utah, which is a notoriously difficult place to play. You know, they they went into Phoenix in an elimination game down 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals without 
Kawhi Leonard and Zubats, who had sprained his MCL by that point. And they won that game in Phoenix. They've won four games down 25 or more this season. So I think it's going to be a hostile, hostile, hostile environment in Minnesota. And I think the Clippers are like maybe as sort of comfortable in that as anyone. So that's a it, really good point. Those are really be, good points. And, and having that history there too, yeah. of like they've already done it in, in this type of environment where this is obviously brand new to this Wolves team. You know, it's, it, it, it's funny, Dane, after one of these games, um, since Paul came back, the Clippers came back, I think the Utah game, they came back from down 20, whatever. And uh, they asked Paul George, the sideline reporter after the game in his post-game interview, you know, can, are you going to be able to get away with this in the playoffs? And he goes, no, we're going to have to play better early in the game. But I mean, we did get away with it last year, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so it, the Clippers very much more than more so than probably any team can, they could be down 15 in the first half and go into the locker room at halftime or go into a timeout and be like, Hey, we're fine. We got this yeah. and believe it because they they've come through in those situations before. All right. I am, I am finally going to cut us loose as we approach the hour 45 mark. I know that you've got, you've got a game to cover tonight. Uh, no, but got, honestly, this was really, it was really helpful for me to like get the perspective. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I feel side. like I, I'm much more equipped to like go into this game and watch it and have a feel for what's going on after this. I hope that our listeners uh, feel the same way on both, both fan bases, Wolves fans and Clippers fans. It should be a great game. Uh, I did propose a few days ago, Dane, a a strategic pact between uh, the, the, if we if Clippers fans and Wolves fans can treat each other how I'm sure Patrick Beverly and Avita Zubats are going to treat each other in this game, which is, hey, we're we're buddies. One of us is gonna we both really want this. One of us is gonna win, but uh, I don't want to not like you afterwards. Sometimes in the playoffs, <laughs> even when you beat a team, you don't like them afterwards. I still, I, whether the Clippers win or lose on Tuesday, I really want to wake up on Wednesday morning and still like the Wolves and still, mm-hmm. you know, root root for them to win that eight nine game um, or the two seven series. No promises, man. No promises, man. <laughs> but, like, uh, pe- like this team, they call it swagger. It's sometimes arrogance, and like, I don't know if depending on how far they go in the playoffs, like Pat talks pat can back it up because he's 33 he's been doing it for 10 years in the league but everybody on the wolves talks like everybody i mean i'm that's happens to be where the media seats are like they talk a ton of shit every game and i don't know like i think i think this could be i'm with you from like the outside perspective because i'm kind of interested by this clippers team too but this could I think could get heated. Be, I yeah, like the chippiness and how both teams react. Like I don't if it goes chippy, is it bad? Is it worse for the Wolves or the Clippers? I think probably the Clippers feel like they would maybe lose their head a little bit more. I don't know, maybe both ways. Uh, it's gonna be. I think fun, it gets more it's random. Be chaotic. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, more yeah, yeah, yeah. Chippier it gets, the more random it gets. Yeah, and that yeah. probably works against the Clippers because I think the the smoother the game is the more mm-hmm. the Clippers just kind of have the upper hand if you just roll the balls out and let the basketball yeah. happen. You start introducing some variables. Uh, you know, you get under Paul George's skin and he goes, nah, man, I actually I am going to take over and score right. 40, right? Like that that happens when you hit him with that first flagrant one, right? So, these, <laughs> you know, the, this is 
this is how games play out sometimes. All right. Thank you, Dane, so much for taking uh, twice as much time as we asked of you and and being here with us. (laughs) It was a good time. Uh, I think the folks at home are really going to enjoy it. Uh, Everyone, if you're looking for Dane, you can find him on Twitter at Dane Moore NBA. Find his podcast, The Dane Moore NBA Show. Uh, wherever you find this podcast, actually, you know, wherever you find the Lob the Jam is where you can find that. Rob, of course, uh, I'm not even going to thank you for being here. It's your job. Um, and <laughs> But thank you all at home for listening. It should be a really good game. We will be back after the playing game with a recap episode with Dr. Schaap and some of the crew. So look forward to that. And as always, go Clippers. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.